Welcome to the Yoga Focus Podcast. My name is Laura Gellner and I am a yoga therapist and occupational therapist based in New Jersey. I created the Yoga Focus Podcast as a way to talk about the tools and techniques of yoga and to see how we can use those techniques to create a greater sense of focus and clarity within our life. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 5 of the Yoga Focus podcast. Today the yoga board is about some of the things that I've been talking about over I guess the last two weeks in my yoga class, which is a focus on the core and specifically the back, but I always consider the back to be part of the core as a whole. The exercises that I put over on the right side of the board, if you're watching the video format of that, you can see that. But if not, these three exercises are called the McGill Big Three. And these are exercises that I know I've always seen used in the therapy clinic. Our physical therapists will use these exercises very commonly with people who have lower back pain but I didn't know that this was actually a um, cohesive group of exercises that were put together. So the three exercises are basically, the first one in therapy is called bird dog, where the opposite arm and leg are reaching away from each other in a tabletop position. In yoga, we usually call it a balancing table, but the position is exactly the same. The second one is a side plank. So there's two different variations of that. It can be a knee down side plank or it can be a full side plank. And then the last one is this front curl up. So in the McGill Big Three, one knee is bent, the head and shoulders come up away from the floor and the arms are kind of used for a little bit of support along the back but it's essentially to activate the front abdominal muscles. Over on the other side, I wrote three different variations of postures that we use in yoga practice, but essentially the same kind of grouping that I like to hit, where it addresses the front, the sides, and the back of all of the musculature that governs the relationship between our rib cage and our pelvis. It's going to determine our upper body posture as well because when the relationship between the rib cage and the pelvis changes, it has this ripple effect that goes into the upper body. It's going to manage the shape of the lower back curve to a point. And I like to see this carryover of what we think of as rehab exercises, things that are going to create stability around the center of the body, and how we do things that are so similar in yoga all the time. So the first one that I put up there, of course we do the balancing table exactly the same, or if you want to call it bird dog. We also do a prone version of this, which I love to do for back strengthening. So if you're totally flat on your stomach, arms stretched out overhead, and you do that same opposite arm and leg lift, it creates this great diagonal line of activation through the back body. And it's building strength in a way where we have to hold the head and the arms and the upper body 
away from gravity. It's using gravity as our strengthener, which is an excellent way to work on your posture. So that's one of my favorites to hit the back of the body. The second one is that side plank. And I really, really frequently like to do a knee down version of a forearm side plank. So forearm on the ground, elbow right underneath the shoulder, and then you're just lifting the hips away from the mat. It's not quite as challenging as the full side plank, which can be very demanding on the core muscles and the shoulder. And for me, with a history of shoulder issues, I've found that this particular exercise has been really, really helpful for me to improve the control of my rib cage position and therefore improve the stability of my shoulder because the shoulder blade has to live on my rib cage. So if my rib cage is not as stable as it needs to be, then my shoulder blade is not going to be as stable as it needs to be. So there's this ripple effect that goes from the center of the body out. And a lot of times the oblique muscles and shoulder issues are rather closely related. So that's an interesting thing to look, about, look at in terms of how core strengthening doesn't just impact our back health, but also our limbs. Everything that's connected to the center can be impacted if we don't have enough stability or we don't have enough strength in the center of the body. When I was in therapy school, the phrase that we had to repeat over and over was proximal stability for distal mobility. And in layman's terms, that basically means if my core and my trunk are not stable, my arms and legs don't have a sturdy foundation for them to create all of these complex and of specific movements, especially for the hands. If the shoulders aren't stable, you're going to have this ripple effect that goes all the way down the chain of the arm and it will impact your hand function because the root of the tree is not stable. So core strengthening, that's why you, you hear so much about it. That is why it is so important because it's like the internal foundation for our arms and our legs being able to move. Okay, so the last version of the yoga exercises that relate to the McGill Big Three is a supine boat. So you start flat on your back, you lift the head and the shoulders, maybe you lift one leg or maybe you lift both legs for the full version. I tend to do the single leg version more frequently than the double leg version, especially when I'm teaching that in an open class. I think the single leg version gives you um, a better focus. It's not quite as strenuous. You can really work more on the relationship between the front ribs and the pelvis rather than just straining to hold your body there for as long as you possibly can. But I love this relationship between the McGill Big Three and three of these yoga poses that we do so frequently that hit all the sides of the trunk, the front, the sides, and the back. Now, when I'm talking about core work and anything related to the back, I always like to think about this area as being like a box, if you can think about that in three dimensions. And I have this illustration. This is the the manuscript for yoga therapy at the wall, which I've been working on this weekend. In the manuscript, I have this illustration of 
what I mean by the core being a box. So the, the anterior structures, the front of the body being the rectus abdominis and the transverse abdominis. And the lateral structures being your internal and external obliques and your transverse abdominis kind of wraps around to the sides too. It has this interesting shape. The posterior part, the back of the body being the spinal extensors, the quadratus lumborum, the multifidus, those are the muscles that we're thinking about back there. The quadratus lumborum, probably the one that you hear the most about because that one tends to get a little bit cranky. But there's also a top and a bottom to that box. And the top of that abdominopelvic cavity is the diaphragm. And the bottom of that cavity is your pelvic floor. So those are all of the sides of the box. I'm not going to talk about the diaphragm or the pelvic floor today because those are really, really deep topics within themselves and I don't feel like I could do them justice, but just know that they create the lid and the floor of that box that is the core. Sometimes you will hear people with different definitions of the core and I think it's totally fine to to talk about how the hip muscles respond to that, how the shoulder girdle responds to that, all of these things, because at the end of the day, we really are this one integrated unit. In terms of trying to weed out where we have weaknesses, it can help to focus on specific areas, but if there is a weakness or an instability, especially at the center of the body, it's really going to have that ripple effect too everything else. So very, very interconnected. But for the point of studying and getting to know the specifics of the body better, I really like this a very visual person, which you might have figured out from my constant use of the yoga board. I like to have a visual in my head so that when I'm moving, I'm understanding what I'm trying to do, what kind of a, a shape I'm trying to create, what part of the box is getting shorter, what part of the box is getting longer when I go into those different spinal shapes. The one thing that I would probably like to add to this overall program, or the one thing that I do add when I'm doing this sort of a class, is some sort of a rotational movement. Because the McGill Big Three are designed for people who have back pain. There's some sort of pathology, there's something that's not quite right. And most of the time we start by working on more of a neutral spine position, mostly. Not all the time, but most of the time we're trying to start from a neutral spine, create some stability, and then gradually add in more um, significant movements that bring the spine away from neutral to see how that person responds and to build up strength gradually. But in the scope of teaching a yoga class and saying it's general population, nobody specifically has any current back issues, I do like to add in that component of some sort of rotational strength. The one that has been my favorite lately that I've been doing is an active version of a prayer twist. So a prayer twist, really common in yoga practice, you'll go into a lunge, the hands come into the heart at prayer, and then you take the elbow and you reach to the opposite knee and you go into this deep twist. Instead of going right into that supported version where the elbow goes to rest on the thigh or the outside of the knee, I've been doing some little 
taps. So you're staying in a more active version. You're reaching, you're tapping that knee with your elbow, and then you come right back up into neutral without releasing the tension in the trunk. You tap and you come back into neutral. And then eventually I might bring them down into that kind of traditional version of the prayer twist, do some variations there. It's also an opportunity to work on the active assisted version of a pose. So even when you're going into those poses where it looks very passive, like if you were in a prayer twist and your elbow was resting on your knee, your upper body weight is mostly supported by the knee against the thigh. But there is this internal experience that you can connect to if you want to build more strength and have a more active experience in that pose, you're thinking about internally creating that sense of rotation. So the muscles are staying active. They're trying to help you to find that version of the rotation that comes from an internal source of strength, but also using the support of your leg to get a little bit more space in that direction. That's what's called an active assisted version of a movement. It's like 50-50 or 60-40, depending on how you want to split it up. But there has to be a stronger connection to your internal strength. It's a really good way to start to gain some more ground without relying on passive means, meaning not holding onto your leg and cranking your spine around, which I tend to try to avoid things like really deep binds where students get a little overzealous with trying to go into that deep version of a pose where they will grab something and like pull themselves into that pose as hard as they can because they want that illusion of being flexible because there is that misconception that the more range of motion you have, the better yogi you are, which is definitely not the truth. And in terms of taking really good care of our bodies, a lot of times passive flexibility is not what's going to nurture us the most. So within the scope of what's happening in the modern yoga movement, there's much more of this shift toward trying to find some internal strength, trying to find more support, trying to find more stability rather than going into these really excessive, unsupported ranges of motion. This is a really great spot to start with building up that stability in the trunk. Now, one of the things that you may have picked up on was I said um, stiffness or tension in the body, and I feel like in yoga, that's kind of a bad word. <laughs> a lot of people are fighting stiffness and fighting tension and you want to be soft and you want to be relaxed and you're like this gumby person who can be folded and pushed into any direction. But again, coming back to that idea of what is really the best thing for our body long term, we're starting to see a lot of teachers coming forward saying that that years and years and years of aggressive stretching has caused joint deterioration, has ended up leading them to need joint replacements or surgery, they've torn ligaments, they have advanced osteoarthritis, things like that. Now is it 100% due to their yoga practice? We don't really know, but chances are that the 
really aggressive way that we used to approach the asanas was probably not the healthiest way to go about that. So this switch over to focusing more on strength and recognizing that tension in the body is not necessarily a bad thing if it's in the right place and if it's in the right amount. It's always that process of finding a balance. If we have too much tension or that tension is causing discomfort, that's out of the realm of what we want. But the right amount of tension is essential for stability in the body and being able to create force, being able to create muscle contraction. There is this tension in the muscle when it contracts. So don't think of tension or stiffness as bad things. Those are things that have to exist in the body in order for us to mechanically work properly. And I wanted to read this particular quote that was from an interview with Dr. Stuart McGill because it touches on exactly this point. Dr. Stuart McGill is a professor of spine biomechanics at the University of Waterloo. And his research had demonstrated that enhanced endurance, not just strength, helps people to avoid awkward postures that can lead to back pain. So in other words, maintaining proper movement over the scope of the day equates to endurance not just being able to squat 300 pounds one rep, it's about being able to sustain strength over a period of time. I always like to think about that definition of endurance versus strength. Endurance is being able to exert a certain level of strength over a period of time. Endurance movements form the backbone of Dr. McGill's recommend, recommended core and lower back exercises. Endurance exercises promote spine stability. True spine stability is achieved with a balanced stiffening of the entire musculature, including the rectus abdominis, the abdominal wall, the quadratus lumborum, the latissimus dorsi, the back extensors, the longissimus, the osteocostalis, and the multifidus. Dr. McGill's big three exercises create a stiffness that enhances the stability in a spine-sparing way and has been shown to create stiffness and stability that lasts after the exercises are completed. This is particularly helpful for those who have pain from joint instability due to overload or overuse. So how do you stiffen the core to achieve spine stability? The abdominal brace enhances stability, says Dr. McGill. It enhances all of, it engages all of the important muscles. To properly brace, relax your abdominals and push your fingers into the oblique muscles about five to 10 centimeters lateral to the navel. Gently stiffen the abs and you will feel your fingers being pushed out. You can also adjust the bracing to lift the level of activity being performed. For heavy lifting, for example, you would have to stiffen and brace the core more, where activities that do not require loading, you would not have to have as much stiffness in the core. So I thought that was an interesting little excerpt that 
talked about those things in yoga that we try to shy away from. The idea of stiffness is not always a bad thing. In fact, it is something that we really need to have a certain amount of stiffness and rigidity in the body to be healthy and to be pain-free. The bottom part of the board, the last section, are three of the movements that I actually like to do. And these are three movements that are in the, I believe they're in the chapter about spine health, chapter eight in yoga therapy at the wall. And they are three different movements or postures that I like to hold with the support of a bolster. The first one being a bolster on the floor right across the pelvis. The feet are resting against the baseboard of the wall to give you some leverage and the head and the arms are lifted up. So the upper body is being supported by the back extensors and you'll hold that position to build up that endurance to create a healthy amount of activation in the back muscles. And there's a lot of ways that you can modify that by putting the hands down, doing 50% of the work with the back muscles, 50% of the work with the arms, using the support of the bolster a little bit more, maybe not lifting up as high away from gravity. The second version is just exactly the same as the side plank, but the side of the pelvis is supported by the bolster. And then you have a range of options there where you can lift the whole body away from the floor, taking the hand and the forearm away, or you can do that 50-50, a little bit with the trunk, a little bit with the arm, anywhere in that range that you feel like works for you. And then the last one is a version of, sometimes we'll call this the dead bug. When you're on your back and your arms and your legs are in the air, you look like a dead bug. But you are on the bolster. So the bolster is on the floor. You go onto your back right along the bolster. The arms and legs go into tabletop if you were flipped onto your back. And then the arm and leg are going to reach in opposite directions. So it's balancing table flipped over onto its back. That one is the one that my students said was surprisingly challenging because you're on the bolster so it's an unstable surface underneath your body, which means that the trunk musculature needs to hold that level of stiffness to create stability between your rib cage and your pelvis. Because otherwise, when you go to reach your arm and leg, if there wasn't enough stiffness or tension in the abdominal muscles, we would get that opening where the ribs pop forward, the pelvis tips forward, there's an excess curve in the lower back. So we keep that tension in the abdominal wall so that our arm and our leg can move independently of the trunk. In order to be able to do that, you have to have that proximal stability. That exercise is really, really good for building up proximal stability and allowing freedom of movement of the arms and the legs without straining the back. There's also a ton of different variations. You can play around with that endlessly and you can switch it to do ipsilateral movements, meaning the same arm and leg, contralateral movements, opposite arm and leg, bent knee, straight knee. I could go on and on and on. <laughs> so that is my version of the McGill Big Three at the wall with a bolster as a prop. If you need a visual of that, if you're like me and you're not great at taking 
in just the audio of me explaining the poses and you want to see what they look like, you can look at the YouTube version of this, which has my boards. If you can tell what my stick figures are doing, you can look at that. But I also post videos of whatever my focus movements are for my yoga class each week. And you'll find that on Instagram at Laura G Yoga. So if you need the visual, definitely check those out. But I hope that this episode has really helped you to think about core stability and core strengthening in a different way. That we want to try to hit all of the angles of the trunk, thinking about the core as a box. And in a future episode, I'll spend more time talking about the lid, the diaphragm, and the base of that box, the pelvic floor, so that we can contain everything. And the appropriate amount of stability and rigidity in the trunk really comes from having all sides of the box being strong and having the appropriate amount of mobility. Thank you so much for joining me for episode five. for joining me in this episode of the Yoga Focus podcast. If you'd like to leave me a comment or a question, you can go over to my YouTube channel at Laura G Yoga and leave a comment under the video format of the podcast. Or you can go onto my Instagram, which is also at Laura G Yoga and leave me a question or send me a direct message on there. If you want to ask a question for a future podcast topic, go over to the Anchor app on your phone and you'll have an option on there to send me a voice message and you might be featured in a future episode. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the podcast. I just wanted to talk to you guys about the book that I released in June of 2019, which is called Yoga Therapy at the Wall. I've worked on this book for the past three years to create all of the pictures and all of the information in here. It's 162 pages and it's a full color manual. The chapters are broken down by body parts that we focus on using the wall to help us learn about different movement patterns and how to change some of the yoga postures to have a specific therapeutic focus. And you can really start to understand when you look at the book why I feel like the wall is the most underutilized prop that we have in yoga. We kind of forget about these things that we have all around us and that we almost always have access to a wall to utilize in the practice. So. This manual will give you a ton of ideas to expand and start to utilize the wall as a prop. If you're interested in ordering, you can get the printed version on lulu.com. Um, you can either take the link in the show notes or you can go on Lulu and look up yoga therapy at the wall. There's also a digital download option, but for that you have to go on Etsy and my Etsy store is Healthy Focus by Laura G. Or you can just search Yoga Therapy at the wall. Thanks. Hope you enjoy it.